I get myself situated. Right? Don't tell me that. So sweet. Like I don't know what I'm doing or something. good now? Well, that's not how the evening's going to go. That's not going to be good. So, we had a good day this day. I want you guys to know I had one of the best days in junior church today. We've had all summer. We had 20-some up there in our big class. I don't know how Mindy's little class went, but our big class was probably one of the most well-behaved group we've had in a long time. I was really impressed with all our kids, and the kids did great, so I'm bragging on those. Little kids, I don't know if Mindy said anything, but she's not exactly agreeing with me in the back, so I'm guessing. <laughs> when you have three years to like kindergarten or first grade or whatever it is, crammed in that tiny room, and you had probably about the same as I did, it, that can get a little hectic. If you want to learn some patience, we'll volunteer you for that class. We'll put you in there with someone who knows what they're doing, but trust me, you will be thankful for the people who enjoy little kids. I was given thought this week, and I was given thought to what I was going to preach up in Hayden, and actually what I was going to do is just, I was going to redo something that I had done here, and Dad uh, talked, called me yesterday about five, and he said, hey, or about three, I should say, and he said, hey, would you mind preaching tomorrow night? Wes is just getting back from his trip. It'll give him time to study and prepare something so he's not crammed. I said, sure. He said, just preach whatever you're going to preach in Hayden. I was like, well, they've already heard that once. So I, I was tempted to preach it again and to see if anyone noticed, to see if you all listened. But we're not doing that. But I started giving thought to a lot of stuff. And the Bible uses a lot of analogies. We'll get to where we're going to be here in a second. But the Bible uses a lot of analogies to look at the Christian life. It uses the analogy of a race. Paul uses it. I, I have a feeling that Paul was an athlete of some sorts because he uses a lot of sports metaphors and a lot of um, athletic metaphors. He was a Greek citizen, or he's a Roman citizen, and he, he probably knew about the Olympics, and that whole thing was a big part in that time. And he uses a lot of sports analogies in the Christian life as a race, but probably the most common analogy is that the Christian life is like a battle. Or it's like a war. And unfortunately, in any war, there's victory, but then there's also defeat. And we've all been at that point in our lives where we're fighting our battle and we're, we're doing our best, but we tend to lose every now and then, right? You might be fighting a battle against some addictive behavior and you're going strong against something and you're doing well and you're, you're making ground on whatever battle you're facing and you're doing great in this fight and you're overcoming certain things and certain difficulties as you go. But then there's that day where you stumble, that day you fall back into this habit or back and regress back into this behavior and there's those defeats we have in our life. And if I was to ask every person in here, there's probably not a person in here that is currently winning an extremely successful, no-defeat battle in your life. I was asked to raise of hands of how many of you have ever, you, you fought your Christian life and you've never lost a fight. I was asked that question 
if you're honest, you probably couldn't answer that honestly and say, I'm, I'm there. We've all fought our battles and we've all, frankly, had defeats in our battles. But the Bible tells an interesting story and there's, there's not a book in the Bible that symbolizes the, the Christian life better than the book of Joshua. It's probably one of my favorite books. I've, I've said that multiple times and it's one of my favorite books, but it's one of the books in the Bible that showcases what Christian living is. Often people call the theme of the, book of, of the book of Joshua is victorious Christian living. And Joshua chapter 7 is where we're going to be, chapter 7 and chapter 8. Joshua chapter 7 opens up after Joshua's very first successful battle as the primary leader of Israel. It was a battle unlike any other. It was a battle, frankly, that never, they'd never seen fought before in that time frame. And Joshua goes before God and asks for help. And God says, here's what you're going to do. And he gives him an unorthodox battle plan. But we see that the walls of Jericho, which at that time was probably the most impenetrable city in the world, we see that God laid these walls flat. He flattened the walls of Jericho. And we see that this great victory in their lives was followed by a defeat. And in our lives, frankly, our biggest defeats come after our biggest victories. Here's why. We're comfortable because we just won. We're confident because we just won. And we're careless because we just won. And we see that with the children of Israel. The children of Israel had one particular rule that God had given them. You can go into the city, but you take nothing. The spoil of the city is not for you, it's for me. That's what God says. And we know that there's a person, we'll look at that here in a bit, but let's look at Joshua chapter 7. Let's look at verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth and on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for there are but few." So they went up thither of the people, about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shebarim. And smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. We see the book of, jo the book of Joshua, this chapter, chapter 7, starts off with showcasing the victory at Jericho, but showcases the problem with the battle. Achan, who's a member of the tribe of Judah, goes and he takes a certain amount of money and possessions from, from Jericho, from the rubble, and he hides it in his tent. The Bible says that he dug a hole in his tent and he buried it there. 
And he took this and he did what God had told him not to do. And the result is that they are defeated at the next battle. Like I said, they were confident. They had just won. They were careless because they had just won. And they went to Ai, didn't send out their full force. Frankly, if they did, they probably would have been beaten anyway. Because God had said, I'll be with you as long as you obey my commandments. And he sends them out and the men come back and are smote. And I put it this way, the men are spanked at Ai. They're beaten, they're sent back, they're wounded. Men had died, they had, they had lost the battle. And it's all because of Achan. So the question is, and the question that we're going to answer is, how do we turn our defeats into victory? How do we turn our defeats into victory? Well, if you're taking notes, number one, you have to have godly sorrow. You have to have godly sorrow. Look at verse 6. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, what shall we say when the Lord turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall envy on us, envy on, I'm sorry, envy on us and round and cut us off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? You see, Joshua decided, he's like, you've turned defeat into victory. I have to have godly sorrow. What that means is that we are divided from God's fellowship. This is what sin does to us. This is what sin does to our relationship with God. It divides us from our relationship with God. Sin puts a wall between you and God. If you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior and you're saved today, you've got a relationship with him that is unbroken, but you can damage that relationship. And you can frankly put up a barrier between you and God. You're divided from God's fellowship. You've damaged God's name. You as a Christian, you have a testimony to live out. And when you fail in your battle, when you fall to sin, and when you experience a defeat, what you're doing is you're damaging God's name. And lastly, you're defeated by God's guilt. We're going to talk about this. There's a big difference between guilt and shame. And you have to realize that guilt is a good thing, but shame is something that you think you are, and that's something that you can't have. But 2 Corinthians 7, 8 says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I did not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry. Though it were but for a reason, now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness is wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear 
in this matter. You see, godly sorrow worketh repentance. You should feel bad about your sin. You should feel guilty about your sin. But your sin is not what defines you. And the children of Israel come before God and they say, Hey God, we know that we're, we failed here and Joshua wants to get better. He says, but we know that you will give us the victory. Just tell us how to make it right. So we have to have godly sorrow. Number two, you have to get back up. You have to get back up. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Get back up. Every one of us are going to fall. There's not a person in here who's not going to fall to sin at least once in your life. And when you do, get back up. There's a lot of empty places and pews in churches because people fell to their sin and they decided not to get back up. What does getting back up mean? It means facing your sin. It means accepting your consequences. And it means dealing with your problems. Look at verse 11. Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded of them. For they have taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen, and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. You see, he faced the sin. God showed him what's wrong, and Joshua faced it. Look at verse 12. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies. Because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore except ye destroy the accursed from among you. I told Joshua, you've got to face your problem, accept the consequences, and deal with the problem. It's the same with each and every one of us. If you're struggling with something today, if there's something holding on to you, if you've got that besetting sin in your life, you've got to face that thing head on. There's no dealing with it behind the scenes. There's no shoving it back into a closet. There's no putting it under the rug and hoping it goes away. You have to deal with it and get back up. Proverbs 24, 16, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. The Jesus in you does not want you to stay down, so have godly sorrow. Get back up. Number three, clean it out completely. You've got to clean it out completely. Look at verse 13. Up, sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves again tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou cannot stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing. And we see what happens here is in the next few verses, Joshua brings the tribes in and he brings in the tribe and he asks God what tribe it is, and God tells him it's of the tribe of Judah, then goes to the certain family, then goes to the certain father, then goes all the way down to Achan, and he cleans it out until he gets to the root of the problem. It's a big thing in counseling today is you cannot deal with just the fruit problem. You have to deal with the root problem. Those of you who, parent, who are parents know this really well. If you have a kid who lashes out at you, you know the lashing out is probably not the main cause. That's a, that's a product of what's happening, but there's something deeper that you have to get to, and it's the same with us. We've got to find the root of our sin instead of just dealing with the fruit. 
It's like weeding a garden. You can take a weed eater out and chop all the weeds down, and it'll look good for a day or two, but the weeds still grow up, right? You've got to grab that weed and pull it up root and stem. So deal with the root, not, not the fruit, and judge it and get rid of it. Look at verse 18. And he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Verse 19, and Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garden, Garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Then I coveted them and took them and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran into the tent and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. So we've got to have godly sorrow. You have to get back up, clean it out completely. Letter number four, you have to confess it. And this is important. Confess it wherever, however, and whenever it's necessary. Confession is a big part of the Christian life that we often overlook, but confession is a necessary part of our lives. You see, your fellowship with God is damaged until you get right with God. So if there's something between you and the Savior, you have to get it right. That means you have to admit the sin. It means coming to God and saying, God, I'm struggling with Fill in the blank. Admitting the sin, you have to agree with God over the sin. That's a big one. You've got to agree with God that what you did was wrong. How many of you have ever had someone come to you and argue and say, hey, I did this, but I don't think it was wrong? You ever had that happen with a kid or someone else? You can't do that with God. You have to agree with God over the sin, and then you have to ask for forgiveness from the sin. That's what confession is. It's admitting, it's agreeing, and it's asking. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confess it wherever, however, and whenever it's necessary. Letter five, you have to repent from it. You have to repent from it. Saying, I Yes, God, I'm sorry for this sin is one thing, but saying, God, I'm sorry for this sin, and I'm turning away, I'm getting rid of it, I'm letting go, I'm putting in, I'm putting in steps to keep myself away from that. That's the, that's the next part of the process. Look at verse 23. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto, the, unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all, the Israel, and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garments and the wedge of the gold, and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire, and they had stone, after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, whereof the name of the place 
was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. You have to repent from it. That means getting rid of it completely, turning completely away from it. It means to get rid of it for good. It means you, have, you know it could happen again, but you have to be careful. It means you have to forgive yourself. This is where guilt and shame play into our lives. Guilt is us knowing and guilt is telling us that something's wrong. We've all felt guilt in our lives. We feel guilty about saying something to someone or doing something or behaving a certain way. We know what guilt is because guilt is what the Holy Spirit uses to tell us that we're wrong. But the devil uses shame in telling us that you aren't enough. And that's important. Because we all have a past. We all have things that we've done in our past lives. But Jesus has forgiven those. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, those are covered by the blood and you shouldn't feel guilt for those anymore. You shouldn't feel shame for those. I'm if, you have, if you're this way, I'm ashamed of what I've done in the past. Then you're living in the past. If you're ashamed of what you've done 20, 25 years ago, you're living in that past. But Jesus dealt with that on the cross. You need to live a life of victorious Christian living, and you need to live that life completely committed to God and not focusing on the things that have happened. You have to repent from it. Letter six, you have to recommit. Recommit and believe that God is not done with you yet. Because it's true. This is one of those things, God's not done with you yet. We saw Madeline and Kay get saved yesterday. They're both close to their 80s. God's not done with them. God's not done with them. The world might put that age bracket away, but God's not done with them. If God was done with them, they'd go home to heaven. If you draw a breath every morning, that means God has a plan for you in the morning. You've got to recommit and believe that God's not done with you. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. How do we recommit? We follow what God says. God's word gives us actual confidence. We see the children of Israel had a, had a cocky arrogance going into this battle against Ai. They thought it, was, it wasn't going to be that big. I can handle that. We can handle this. But God hadn't told them to go. And their arrogance caused them to fail. But when God gave the word for them to go, they now had a confidence behind it. And it's the same with every one of us. You can face a battle every day by yourself and you will lose every time. If you get up in the morning and say, I know I've been struggling with this, but I'm going to do it by myself. I can do it. I can do it. I can be strong. I can be committed. I can, I can do this. I can overcome it. I am stronger than that. You will find yourself at the end of the day completely defeated. But if you get up every day saying, God's told me I can do this. God's word gives me power. I'm going to follow what God's word says. You will have a confidence that cannot be broken. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. 
Philippians 2, 12, not as though I have already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that if, I, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And the best verse in the book of Philippians is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So recommit. And the last thing, and then we'll be done, is go back at it. Go back at it. If you look at chapter 8, if you read the rest of the chapter, we're not going to tonight, but if you look at chapter 8 and read the rest of it, you'll see that God sends the people of Israel back to Ai, and they've got a new strength. Their strength is founded in what God has promised them. They have a new strength. They go back with a new strategy. Joshua doesn't send a small group. He sends a group out and he hides another group. And it's a different strategy completely. And they go back with a new spirit. A spirit of God's going to do this for us. So if you're struggling today and you've, you've fallen multiple times. And you're currently living in defeat to some sin. Whatever that is. It could be the sin of worry. And worry is a sin. It could be the sin of anxiety or the sin of stress. It could be the sin of lust. It could be the sin of pride. It could be the sin of anger. And if you're living in defeat towards those sin, you have to go back at it with a new strength. And you have to find that strength from the word of God. You've got to go back, back at it with a new strategy. Stop, stop trying to win the victory by yourself. It's not going to work. And you've got to go back at it with a new spirit. Say, God, I, I can't do this myself, but I know you can. And you'll see the defeat in your life. You'll see it turn to victory. The children of Israel go on to win this battle. God gave them a great victory. They defeated Ai and they defeated the rest of the foes in the promised land. But it wasn't until they got to the root problem of their failure and cleaned it out. See, the reason your life might be so hard right now is because you're not dealing with that little piece of silver hidden in your tent. You say, I'm not looking at it. I'm not dealing with it. It's just sitting there. I'm not, I'm not worried about it, but that thing is causing you to fail. So what are you going to do? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. We love you, Lord. Thank you for sending your son to die for us, Lord. Thank you for bringing us out today on such a beautiful day, Lord. I pray that you'd be with all the prayer requests that were said. I pray that you help each and every one of us to go and live our lives and turn our defeat that we have into victory. It's your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.